You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. And the young folks can be dismissed to uh, junior church. That's ages 5 to 10. We have nursery for all ages. And then we have junior church where the kids are able to go back. Have fun, but most importantly, they uh, do get a good uh, Bible lesson back there as well. So, uh, but they're not required to go, uh, but they sure are welcome and be in good hands back there. All right, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians today. The book of 2 Corinthians. The singers for today ended up uh, getting, had sick kids, and so uh, be praying for them to get to feeling better. Uh, and I, as always, I do encourage sick people to stay home, <laughs> right, uh, if you're sick. But uh, So we're thankful for that, but glad that you're here today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And uh, I, I believe we'll be talking about something today that's some, that every one of us can relate to, to some extent or the other. If you can't right now, you will at some point. You ever have hard times come in your life? You ever have things come into your life that you don't know how to deal with? Let me ask you this one. Have you ever had something in your life, whether it be uh, an emotional issue, uh, a, a health issue, a physical issue, something come in, a family issue, um, and you pray for God to fix it, and you ask God, Lord, would you take this away? Have you ever asked God to do something and God not do it? How about that? You ever ask God to do something and God not do it? Uh, you know, a lot of times we can think different things about that. Sometimes people say, well, we must, God must not care very much about me. But I would remind you of something. The Bible says the, God calls us His children. You ever notice that? God never calls us His adults, does He? And He certainly never calls us His equals. Can you imagine a parent that gave their kid everything they asked for? And can you imagine a parent that took everything out of a kid's life that they did not want? If we did that, we would be losing, they'd be losing siblings, wouldn't they? Because they don't want that brother taking their toys or whatever. And, and then what does the little, the little kid sit there and think when, 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 when the parents won't let, uh, the, the, let you take the toy from your brother or your sister? Well, that kid screams and hollers because mom and dad are so cruel. Well, I hate, to, I hate to compare us to a bunch of kids this morning, only I really don't, because uh, we can be that way. And, but we, we, we experience things, and I want to tell you today, number one, Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, do you know he actually prayed and asked why? It's also interesting that the Lord prayed three times that this cup might depart from him. In our text today, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, he also asked three times for the Lord to do something for him. But there's, there's some great lessons, I think, that we can learn from this. And I want to encourage you today, as we read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9, where the Bible says, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, 
There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And buffet literally is, is being hit with a closed fist. It's being punched. There's a messenger of Satan sent to punch me, to hit me, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, to give you a quick background on this passage, he, he begins this chapter by talking about a man that went uh, presumably to heaven, that was killed, that went to heaven. He talks about this person in the third person. However, most scholars, uh, and I agree with them, believe that Paul is talking about himself, that there was an occasion that took place in the book of Acts, chapter number 14, when Paul, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, Paul was faithfully preaching the gospel, and the Bible says he was stoned. Uh, isn't, imagine stoning, wouldn't that be a horrible way to die? To be stoned is when a group of people would stand around you and literally throw stones at you until you die. That'd be a pretty rough, wouldn't it? Um, and so Paul was stoned. They presumed him to be dead. I believe perhaps he was dead. Dragged out of the city. And he had a vision. At the very least, he had a vision of heaven. And when he came back, he had some, man, did he have some things to tell. And by the way, I, I, it's hard for me when I think about Paul's experience versus experiences of some of the people that I hear today. Because Paul said, man, I can't even talk about the things. Uh, as a matter of fact, God's allowed me to have this infirmity to keep me humble and not repeat the things that I saw when I was there or the things that were seen when I was there. But regardless, Paul came back to be able to complete his mission. Now, a couple things that we read in the text. Number one, in verse number seven, we learned that Paul was, you ready for it, overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed? You've got something on you that is greater than you, something you're facing that's greater than you have the ability to handle. He was overwhelmed. The Bible says it was a thorn in the flesh is what he compared it to. That word could be used as, as a stake or as a splinter or quite literally as a thorn, one thing's sure, he had something in him, on him, that he could just not shake and he could not ignore. There are times that I try to tell people, and I think maybe there's a time that somebody can be told they need to get over something, but I'm telling you, that's not always good advice. You need to get over it. It's, that's easy to say to people sometimes, isn't it? You know, it, it, it reminds me again of kids. 
You ever see, you ever have two kids, one kid hits the other kid, and, and, and the kid says, ouch, that hurt. And what's the other kid say right away? That didn't hurt. Well, how do you know? Right? And I, I think about that with people a lot of times. They get hit by something in this world. They, they have trouble in this world. And if we're not careful, we haven't walked in their shoes. We don't know what they're experiencing. And it's real easy for us to say, well, that doesn't hurt. Well, how do you know exactly? Paul was overwhelmed. We face times of being overwhelmed. Now, the specific reason that Paul was overwhelmed, it says twice, that God was trying to keep him humble because of all the visions that he saw. But I'll tell you something. We, need th- we, we sometimes need some reminders in our lives, things to enter our lives to remind us how much we need God. And oftentimes God will allow things in our lives that are bigger than we are. We don't like it, but the thing about it is when we find stuff that's bigger than us that we're overwhelmed with, then we turn to God. Way too often, folks, we try to handle things in our own strength and wisdom and power. How many of you ever have some problems and they're of the smaller sort and you would say, well, I wouldn't bug God with that? Well, I hope someday you learn to bug God with that because you can't bother God. And God is not expecting us to be strong. God is not expecting us to carry these things. He's actually trying to teach us that you're not strong enough to carry these things, okay? Uh, He was overwhelmed. Whatever this was, it was a thorn in his flesh. So this was something that physically affected the Apostle Paul, I believe is clear. But it says also the messenger of Satan. So not only was it a physical attack, it was also a spiritual attack. And how many of you know that those two can go hand in hand? How many of you know that you can get sick physically and you begin to struggle emotionally and you begin to struggle spiritually? Honestly, it can go in all kinds of different varieties, doesn't it? But that's how this was working. Paul was, hey, how about this? Paul was struggling. Anybody, Anybody ever been there? Paul was struggling. Man, he was having it rough. He didn't know what to do. Well, he did know what to do. He went and asked God, Lord, take this away. Lord, I need you to remove this from my life. He was overwhelmed. He prayed three times. But he was denied. So not only was Paul overwhelmed, Paul was overruled. Paul was overruled. He was overwhelmed. Number two, he was overruled. Now, can I just say this? I don't know why I ask you that. I don't know why I say a lot of things I say. But when it comes to being denied, overruled, I tell you what, this name it and claim it business about makes me sick on my stomach. These people that say, if you you believe hard enough and if you ask God the right way, if you stand on one foot and rub your shoulder and touch your ear or whatever, God will definitely answer your prayers. Where do these, let me just say this, where do these fools get off? That's what they are. And I don't hesitate to say that. 
I mean, the, the Bible says those that preach this false, preach false doctrine ought to be called out. And I want to, I can't think of somebody particular to call this false doctrine out with, but I'm just telling you, I will call that false doctrine out. Name it and claim it. You say it and God's going to make it happen. Since when did God become your little genie in the bottle, son? What you talking about? I mean, listen, God overrules. Because your little fool self don't know what's right and you don't know what you need. God knows what you need. I mean, these people, and, and the reason it upsets me is because it, it, it's, it's, it's blasphemy against God as far as I'm concerned. And it's elevating man on the same level with God. I just got trouble with it. But Paul was overwhelmed. His petition was overruled by God. Because here's the thing about God. I asked you earlier, have you asked God to do something he hasn't done? You want to know something? God knows better than you know. Now, that's easy for us to say, isn't it? I don't, th I don't think, anyway, there's anybody that would stand up in the congregation right now and say, well, I'm a preacher except for me. I do know better than God. There's probably not anybody in here that would actually do that. Most of us would agree God knows better than we do. But I'm telling you, we sure don't act like it. We sure don't talk like it. We sure don't live like it. Because we're wondering why God's messing this whole thing up and where God's at and why he's not showing up and taking this thorn out of my flesh, see? And so, uh, <laughs> listen, I, I said I was trying to encourage you, I am, but I want to tell you right now, did you know part of the pastor's job, uh, somebody said the, the part of the pastor's job is to, is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted, amen? And, uh, and sometimes we need to understand, folks, that the way we're living our lives does not seem to reflect that we believe that God knows best. But let me tell you something about God. God knows best. God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. He knows best. And He loves you beyond degree. He loves you more than you can even fathom. By the way, I live with those things, amen. That might be getting ahead of the message a little bit. He was overwhelmed. He was overruled. And when I'm overwhelmed, and I do get overwhelmed, and when I get overruled, and I do get overruled, those are some things I think about every single time. Well, God, you know better than me. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but thine be done. I've shared this. I remember one time I was over, I remember one specific time I was overwhelmed. Let me tell you something. I wish sometimes we just need to look back at when we were overwhelmed other times and God helped us. You remember all those other times you were overwhelmed and you didn't think you were going to make it through? I mean, I'm just asking you, do you remember some times in your life when you were overwhelmed, overruled, and you didn't think you were going to make it through, and yet there you sit today? Amen? But what we do is we forget, and then we're overwhelmed again, and we're back in the same old situation again. We criticize the children of Israel, but we're the same way sometimes. It's just awful. Uh, Man, I'm glad God's a God of grace because, man, we're a mess, amen, as people. We are. But, but, but I, I was overruled. I was overwhelmed and I was overruled. But there was a verse that God gave me out of the book of Genesis when, between Abraham and God. And, and the verse says something like this. And it's a rhetorical question. But it says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And I asked myself that question. And I said, you know what? He will do right. He will do right. This was there were concerns about Natalie when she was still in the womb. Only two chambers of her heart developed. 
going to, a, going to see a specialist. Her heart wasn't right. I hope her heart's right today, but uh, pray for her. But no, but, but, and, and what are we going to do? But I'll tell you what I said. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? See, we say, we say, praise God that her heart did fully develop and whatever happened. And I believe God worked a miracle if you went back and looked at what was going on. But, and we say, woo, well, thank God. But you know what we don't say? We don't say thank God when it don't happen, do, do we? God's good. She was born healthy. So does that mean God's not good when a child's not born healthy? Is that what that means? Um, see, Paul was overruled, he was overwhelmed, but I want to tell you, the judge of all the earth will always do right by you. He can't do you wrong. He will not do you. How can he do you wrong? You mean to tell me, and this is, this, I, I literally, I don't know if there's hardly a day that go by because I get overwhelmed uh, uh, on occasion, and I've got to remind myself pretty regularly, Dan, of this. I just think, you know what, I don't understand this, but man, he loves me so much he couldn't do me wrong. He loved me enough knowing who I was before I got saved, knowing who I would be after I got saved. He still went to the cross for me. Hey, he can't do it. He's not going to do me wrong. He loves me too much. He knows too much. He's too powerful. So Paul was overruled, overwhelmed. Paul was overruled. And then I'll spend just a moment on this. Paul was overjoyed. Overjoyed. Can you imagine that's where this goes? Paul goes to God with something that is absolutely overwhelming. I'm talking about pain, discomfort, torment, probably sleepless nights, both from physical issues as well as emotional uh, issues as well and spiritual issues. And he goes to God and he says, nope, not, I'm not giving you what you want, Paul. I'm going to give you something better. And you need to mark that down. When God doesn't give you what you want, he's giving you something better. And you say, well, how could, how could sickness be better? How could that be better, preacher? Come on. Uh, you know, Paul, how, how, could, how could this thorn in the flesh stay in there and be better? I'm glad you asked because I'm going to do my best to try to tell you, all right? Paul was overjoyed. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. The Bible says, and he said unto me, and I wish you would mark this down. I wish you would highlight it. I wish you would memorize it. Because Jesus has the same, you listen to me, he has the same message for you today. My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient. See, what happens is we think, God, I want you to be glorified in my life by removing this. God says, no, I'm going to be glorified in your life by leaving it because I'm going to do something greater. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they said, Lord, we want you to be glorified in healing our brother. God says, no, no, I'm not coming. Three days, by the way, isn't that something? Three prayers by Jesus, three, three appeals of Paul, three days Jesus delayed before coming to see Lazarus. And uh, you think about that. He says, nope, not coming because I'm going to do something better. What's better? Oh, what's better? Jesus, just think about Jesus selling this to you, okay? I'm going to tell you, Mary and Martha, here's what better. Hey, so you want me to come heal your uh, brother? I got something better than that. <laughs> okay, Jesus, what do you got? I'm going to let him die instead. How about that for you? 
okay, Lord, uh, I don't, that don't sound better to me. But he says, hold on. I'm going to let him die instead of heal him, but then I'm going to raise him up. Amen. See, my power, my grace is going to show up in your world. I'm going to change your life because I'm going to raise him up from the dead. See, I'm going to do something greater. They had to roll away a stone. See, a lot of us, we still have a stone of bitterness over God's miracle in our lives. We have stones of unforgiveness. We have all kinds of stones in the way of what God wants to do in our lives. God says, I got something better for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Let me give this to you quickly. He was overwhelmed, so what God did said, Paul, I'm not taking the flesh out, but I'm going to give you some grace. I'm going to put something in your life. And so God sent His grace. And I want to tell you something. God will send His grace to you. And His grace is still sufficient. God's grace is a matchless grace. God's matchless grace comes along with the affliction. God's sufficient grace, grace which moment by moment enabled Paul not only to bear the pain and the torment, but it enabled him to be able to go on three missionary journeys and successfully live the rest of his life in power for God. See, not everything, you you think about this for a minute. Romans 8.28 is a passage, another one that that many of us refer to oftentimes, Romans 8.28. And we know that all things, and I'll just back up there because we skip over that quickly sometimes, we know. There's a given there that we know, but we don't know sometimes, do we? But Paul said, we know that all things, all things, all things work together for good. Not all things are good. All things work together for good to them who love God, to to them who are the called according to His purpose. So what that verse teaches us, we see it repeated time and time again in the world. You think about all the things that have happened in the world that looked really bad, that ended up working something great and wonderful and something better. But I've said this before, and I had to think about this before I typed it out again. I had to pause for a moment and say, is that right? But I thought about this years ago, and I've often said, not everything that happens is the will of God. Not everything that happens is the will of God in your life. But God has His will in everything that happens. I've made that statement many times, but I, but I, I stopped and I prayed about it, and I thought about it again. I said, is that right? And it is right. Not everything that happens in your life is the will of God, but God can have His... You say, what do you mean by that? Do you remember Joseph? Since God commanded us to love one another, there's no way that it was God's will for Joseph's brothers to beat him up like they did, to conspire to kill him, to throw him in a pit, and ultimately sell him to be a slave. If God says that's the wrong thing to do, then doing it is not what God wants someone to do. But that's what they did. It wasn't the will of God. But he went to Egypt. And in Egypt, he, got, he, he began to work in, as a slave, as a house slave in Potiphar's house. I'm telling you right now, it was not the will of God. God did not go to Potiphar's wife and say, hey, you need to put moves on Joseph. 
Because God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You see what I'm saying about this not being the will of God. It's not the will of God to commit adultery or to try to commit adultery, okay? So that, that wasn't the will of God, and it certainly wasn't the will of God for her to falsely accuse him. That's lying. You see what I'm saying? However, in the end of the story, as many of you know, number one, I love all the way through the story, the Bible says this, but the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. But what happened? God used these things, and they came out to his will. Because here's what it ultimately said. God said Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. So evil's not good. Evil's not the will of God. That was their intent. But God said, I've got something else working. So since God knew all this was going to happen, he overruled, and his ultimate will came out. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for this. See, Satan allowed, there's been things in our life, there's been decisions that we made. There's been decisions that we've made that have brought bad things into our lives. Isn't it something, I saw something just, I think I just saw it today that said that a police officer's work is often having people get mad at them for mistakes that the criminal made, right? Something to that effect. Um, that's how kind of people can be at God too. Listen, sometimes we make decisions that cause bad things to come into our lives. Not all the time, but you want to know something? In God's grace, even if we've done things that aren't the will of God, God can overrule and have his will in that. In other words, man can mean it for evil, Satan can mean it for evil, but God can mean it for good. The thorn was not sent to destroy Paul, but to develop Paul. Whatever you, that comes into your life that is overwhelming, it was not sent there to destroy you. Now, Satan may have meant it for that purpose, but God says no. It's a messenger of Satan, yes. But what we learn from the book of Job is Satan could not get within 10 miles of us without God's permission. So Satan comes in, but then God says, now I've got something greater. It was not sent to destroy Paul. It was sent to develop Paul. God has not allowed you to be overwhelmed by something to destroy you, but to develop you. Your times are still in His hands. All right? So, but not only, so, so God sent His grace, but quickly, God also sent His power, His matchless grace, and His magnificent power. Notice what He said there. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. The thorn will make you say, I'm just too weak to win the battle. I'm just too weak to win the battle. Man, I've got a good title for this. I wish I'd have told it to you. The title is Weak Enough to Win. Weak Enough to Win. See, you see right now, you're overwhelmed, and you're sitting there. All of a sudden, here's the thing that's amazing with us. We're stunned that we can't handle it. Ain't that something? Because we, we, you know, we're usually good at this stuff. You see the problem. We're usually, I, 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 I can usually handle this kind of thing. But God's saying, okay. So yeah, so, so, so but now you're recognizing that you're too weak to win the battle. And you're right. But you may not be weak enough yet. You may not be weak enough yet. The children of Israel, it wasn't until God led them to the Red Sea, and they were between the Red Sea and, and, and the Egyptian army, 
See, God likes to work. Let me tell you something. God likes to work when nothing else will. God likes to work when nothing else will work. And that's exactly what he wants to do in your life. So God identifies himself with our obedient weakness. Your problem may be that you're still trying rather than trusting. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 15. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid or dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Zechariah 4, 6. This is the word of the Lord saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, there may be some people in here. Anybody in here ever trained to be a lifeguard? I know that a part of lifeguard training years ago, I don't know if they still do this or not, but if someone is like freaking out, going crazy, drowning, they're staying above water still, but they still have enough strength and energy to be kicking and fighting and, and, and wailing and screaming. You know what lifeguards at least used to be taught? Stay away from that person. Why? They'll pull you down, then both of you will drown. So sometimes that lifeguard just has to wait till they wear themselves out. See, some of us are still trying too hard. We need to quit trying. Quit fighting. We need to quit kicking. We need to quit screaming and just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Amen. And some of us need to let, you know what? We can also help one another. Amen with that? But God will be there to help you. But, but, but the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. Gideon gathered, gathered an army. So th- there was a problem. There was, there was the, the Midian army had 132,000 strong soldiers. 132,000. Gideon gathered an army of 32,000. So 32,000 versus 132,000. God said... Kind of like on the prices, right? Anybody remember? That's too much. <laughs> That's too much. And, 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 and so, so God whittled it down from 32,000 down to 10,000. And you know what God said? God still said, That's too much. That's too much, Bob. I mean, Gideon. Uh, so finally, finally, the army got down to 300. And God says, Now we're talking. That's it. Those are numbers I can work with. 300 against 132,000. And you can go read in the book of Judges and find out that God brought the victory. You want to know something that may be a surprise to you today? Your weakness is not a liability. I want to say that again. Your weakness is not a liability. And it's too bad that oftentimes churches have trained us to come into church and act like we don't have any weaknesses because weaknesses are liabilities. When we can't be open and honest about things that we're struggling with and facing people, uh, you can't get any help. You can't get help, and you know what's maybe worse? We can't help somebody else. So then a lot of times you get around churches and everybody's just got on these big old fake smiles, acting like everything's okay. Because it's not okay not to be okay. But I want to say that, some, that it is okay not to be okay sometimes. You understand that? It's okay. your, your weakness is not a liability. You know what's a liability? Your strength. 
That's the problem. Your strength is the problem, not your weakness. I'll say that again. Your strength is the liability, not your weakness. If we could only learn that God does not need our strength. He doesn't, he, it's not our strength, it's our obedience. God is the one that has the strength. So God's grace was sent to him. God's grace was seized by him. Paul learned that while he did not have power to overcome the thorn, God did. Paul learned that he couldn't do it, but he learned that God could. In fact, it is his very weakness and yieldedness that allowed God to work in his life like never before. His weakness did not hinder him. His weakness propelled him. Because in his weakness, God's power came rushing in. And because of that, look at what happened. He became a praising man. He said, most gladly, therefore, will I go through these things. <laughs> he became a man of praise. So listen, remember, he's overwhelmed. He's overruled. But when he begins to process and God says, okay, Paul, you're done kicking and screaming and hollering. Okay, yes, yes, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm trusting you with my life. I'm trusting you that you know what's best. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'm surrendering, I'm submitting. God's grace came into Paul's heart and life. God's power came into his life. And now here's this sick man who feels horrible. From all accounts, we learned in Sunday school, probably looked horrible. But all of a sudden, he's praising the Lord. Because, not because that his problem went away, but because his God showed up. Not because God didn't roll this big old burden, but because God came and helped carry this burden and sustain him. See, God wants to work in our lives to where for our good and for his glory every single time the thorn is designed to do a few things the thorn is designed to destroy pride still holding on to that pride the developed prayer displayed that power and determined pleasure he become a praising man most of us go around wailing our infirmities we make them an excuse to do nothing. Or we allow ourselves to become embittered against God because of our infirmities. Or we use them as weapons to victimize other people in order to get sympathy. You know, listen, to, to Paul somehow learned to accept gladly. And the word gladly literally means sweet. Now, I understand I'm up here preaching this, and I know it's one thing to be up here telling I know it's one of those things that's easy preaching and hard living. I understand that. And I'm not up here telling you to get over it. I'm not doing that. But I am telling you one thing, and I will proclaim it, that God's grace is sufficient for you. Preacher, you don't know what's going on. I don't. And I'm not going to act like I do. I'm not. But one thing I can promise you, God's grace is sufficient. And, and, and one thing I can promise you is that God's strength is still made perfect in weakness. He will still help you. Oh, I'm so weak. God can't use me. What are you talking about? 
That's where God's been trying to get you. Notice here quickly, and in, 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 in closing, I want to give you a few things through verse 12. At, uh, I'm sorry, through verses 9 and 10 of chapter 12. He became a praising man. He became a praying man. He became a prevailing man. He sets forth three things about God's power in his life. Number one, he talks, he imitates the power. He imitates the source of power. In other words, folks, he says this. Why do I rejoice there in verse 10? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ. So now, not only do I have grace, I have power. I'm not over, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm not overcome. And, 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 and this is more than I can handle, but now that God's got me, He's got this. So I don't have to live overwhelmed because He's got it under control. So He says the power of Christ. He learned the source of His power. Folks, it's Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, He learned. The more grief He had, the more grace He had. He learned the source of power, and then secondly, He learned the scope of power. Notice this in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure. I take pleasure. And that just means to delight or enjoy. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Let me tell you something. The scope of God's power, he learned to overcome the pain. It doesn't mean he didn't hurt, but he just learned to deal with it differently. He, he learned to overcome provocations. He says, I take pleasure in reproaches. Those are insults. I take pleasure, he learned to overcome privations. In other words, he says, I take pleasure in necessities, which is to say, hey, there's time I don't have everything I need, or I don't think I, the things I think I need. There was times Paul didn't have food. There's, Paul, there's times Paul did not have a change of clothes. But he said, you know what, I've learned to take pleasure in that. See, he learned to overcome the scope of God's power. What can God's power do in your life? God, God's power can help you to overcome pain, overcome uh, provocations, overcome privations, also to overcome persecutions. He said, I take pleasure in persecutions. Jesus said, blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. He was given power to overcome problems. He says, I take pleasure in distresses. It literally means a narrow place, a tight place. And the secret again of all the power is this in verse 10. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 the Bible says, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy before thee, and shall say, destroy them. So I am not going to dare promise you today that God is going to take away that which overwhelms you. You may be overruled, but what I can tell you today is that God's grace is sufficient. Oh, that God is able to overjoy you.
I can't help but think about my uh, dear mother. That just came to my mind, and I've shared it with you before, but boy, it just came to mind again. My dear mother, let me tell you something. I haven't said much about this part today. I'm going to get to my mom. But it was through with something overwhelming that helped my mom come to the greatest recognition that she needed in her life, and that was her recognition to accept Christ as her Savior. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something. He wants to forgive you, save you, and change your life if you'll turn to Him today. But my, 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 my mom became ill, very ill. She was overwhelmed. She couldn't, she couldn't figure out what it was. She had, uh, we didn't have uh, insurance or much money, so my mom would just go to like the, 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 health, uh, the health department, the health clinic, uh, you know, there close to where we lived. You know, different doctor every time and whatever, and uh, free clinic type of deal. And uh, a couple different times, they, they were giving her antibiotics for her lung infection is what they thought that she had. So she just kept getting sicker and sicker. And during that time, God brought her to a place to where she finally realized. God had been working on her heart, but she said, you know what? I really do need you, Jesus. She was brought low. In her weakness, she recognized that she needed somebody greater. And she put her faith and trust in Christ. I spoke to her many times, and, and, uh, and she, she was a sweet lady, but she just was not ready to accept Christ. But she got so sick that she did. Well, fast forward a few weeks, maybe a month or so, she finally goes to the emergency room because she just isn't getting any better. They found out she had cancer. She had cancer the whole time. But she was just, you know, not diagnosed uh, correctly. They thought she had a lung infection. I don't know. I don't understand what they did or didn't do there. But they found out she had cancer. Found out not that she had cancer, 43 years old. When I was 21, I thought that was old. Now that I'm older than that, I realize, man, my mom was young. 43 years old. Laying in there on that hospital bed. And, and, and I've told you before about how my mom put her faith and trust in Christ, just simply said, Jesus, please come take my hand. And I want to tell you something. My mom spent the remaining days of her life, and I do say days because it wasn't many days after that, but I'm telling you what, my mom sitting up in that hospital with both hands raised to the air, praising God that she knows Jesus. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> my mom, so she's brought weak. She was brought to a weak point in her life. And, uh, and it was at the hospital when I was sharing the gospel with her is when it dawned on her. Many of you remember that part of the story that, man, I accepted Christ a month or two ago. I've already done that. And she was so excited. And my, my, my dad went down and, and got her a little music box, a little church music box from the, the gift shop, and it played Amazing Grace on little little music box. And, uh, and, and so, so we'd wind that box up, and she just loved to listen to it play Amazing Grace on that little music box. And it was playing, and she says, and she just listened to it. She said, Jesse, she said, I don't really know the words to that. She wasn't in church or anything. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the words. Could you sing that to me? And I said, sure, Mom. And Melanie's there with me, and I just start singing, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. And the whole time, I, don't get, I get about that far to where my mom, tears are coming down and her hands are in the air. That saved a wretch like me. And she takes her hands down and she starts doing like this. I once was lost, 
And by this time, her hands are waving. This woman was, ne- this woman was never in church, okay? She had not been raised around people raising their hands and praising the Lord. What's wrong with some of us, by the way? Can I just ask that? Sitting here in our stinking pride, won't even think about saying amen. We think about it, but we think, what's people going to think? She don't know anything, man. She just knows she's saved and she's happy about it. Waving her hands in the air. And just on down through there, get down to that last word through, you know, um, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. And I just sing that whole song and just tears rolling down her face as she just raises those hands to the Lord. Let me ask you this day, what's your problem? What's your problem? And, and, and And then literally, after that point, she's young, so obviously there's a lot of family still living to come see her. There wasn't a family member that came in that room, and you talk about being a little sneaky, because she'd get them. She'd be laying in that bed, and she'd say, oh, Ralph, honey, thank you for coming to see. Will you come over here and hold my hand, Ralph? Yeah, honey, I'll come hold your hand. Ralph, do you know Jesus? <laughs> do you know Jesus? She, and she didn't know the Romans road or any of those things, but, but she knew that. Do you know Jesus? Are you saved? little lady comes in there to clean up the room. Can you come hold my hand a second? Darling, could you please come hold my hand? Can I just ask you a question? Do you know Jesus? Doctor comes in the room. Doctor, before you leave, he was kind of a jerk. But she said, Doctor, can you come over here and hold my hand? Do you know Jesus? (laughs) He didn't know what to think. And I'm telling you, for the day, her days remaining, she sent just praising the Lord, giving a witness for Christ. And, uh, and it wasn't long after that she went, she went on to be with the Lord. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing her one day. I certainly do. But I want to tell you something. That weakness helped her come to Christ. And in her weakness, she learned to praise. And in her weakness, she was able to uh, be a witness for the Lord. And I'm just saying today, I don't know what your need is, but I hope today if you're not saved that you'll come to the Lord. Let's all stand, please. Thank you so much for your patience.